podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Homefield Apparel, the company with the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. They have t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, and more. All of these have vintage college logos from more than a hundred different schools and they continue to add new schools all the time they just got done with big new saturday season three to the end of the basketball season added a whole bunch of great schools including the kansas jayhawks Uh, so if you have not gone over there to take a look at their collection yet head over to homefieldapparel.com you can use promo code chalk 12 to get 15 percent off your entire first order and all orders over a hundred dollars have free shipping i have so many different shirts from them it's not even funny all from uh, well, the Jayhawks, but then a bunch of other schools that I don't have any kind of rooting interest in. They just have stuff that looks that fantastic. So if you head on over there, I guarantee you're going to find multiple things that you are going to want, uh, multiple things you would like to, like to add to your collection. And these, again, are the most comfortable clothing anywhere that you can find. So, again, homefieldapparel.com, promo code CHOCK12 gets you 15% off your entire first order, and all orders over $100 have free shipping. And, of course, we are in the middle of what they are calling third-month mania. Uh, it is almost complete at this point with the tournament wrapping up, but they have all kinds of great things happening. Uh, they've teased that maybe the national champion uh, is going to have a special T-shirt. We'll have to see if, if Kansas can go ahead and secure that. But, again, homefieldapparel.com, promo code CHOCK12 gets you 15% off your entire first order. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are taking a look at the Final Four. It is our first look here on the podcast. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff coming up this week to talk about the game and everything that's going to be happening for the Kansas Jayhawks. But look, just like we did with the NCAA tournament, we need to go ahead and take a look at the uh, the whole Final Four as a whole, not just focusing only in on what Kansas is you know is doing here. So. To help me do that, I'm bringing onto the show. I don't remember if it's his first time or not. I've talked with him before, before over on the 1012 podcast, but it is uh, Brian Ralph of Heat Check College Basketball. Brian, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Um, I think this is the first time on on Rock Chalk podcast. Uh, I know we had done the 1012 as you mentioned, um, but this is as good of a time as any. Um, yeah, exactly. No, it was funny because I, I had tried to like get connected with you for the, the, for the NCAA tournament preview and didn't get an opportunity to do that. Cause of course it's a busy week for you guys there. I, I can oh, fully imagine. Absurd, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was busy enough for me as it was, but, uh, but you know, I only cover one team and well, one, one conference. I can just imagine how, how much mm-hmm. it is for you guys. So, so first of all, before we dive into the final four weekend, I, I want to get yep. your overall thoughts. Cause I know that I'm very by or KU bias, KU slanted. Uh, in terms of my thoughts about how the NCAA tur- tournament has been so far this year. So mm-hmm. what would you say is kind of like an overall evaluation of this NCAA tournament? I've heard lots of people kind of throw around like this is this is like the best NCAA tournament in, in a really long time because of a lot of the stuff that's happened, but we still end up with a Final Four that has a bunch of Blue Bloods. I've heard a lot of people that are like talking about how, it, you know, it, it, it had so much promise and then it kind of fell down at the end because it's a bunch of Blue Bloods. Like what what is your as objective as possible type of evaluation of the, of the, the NCAA tournament so far. I think it's an an above average tournament. Uh, I think the people calling it the best tournament ever um, are are probably too tied into St. Peter's making that run. And then the Duke UNC matchup in the final four. And also the fact that it's the first tournament in three years that has fans in in the stands. And that we saw all year that adds something to the game that adds something to the viewing experience it's certainly not a bad tournament. We had 
upsets. We had great individual performances, particularly in the first weekend. We had Cinderella runs. The problem, though, when you have Cinderella runs, particularly ones that go as long as the ones Miami went on and the ones St. Peter's went on, is that eventually there's a correction, right, back to back to the mean. Um, it just so happened that we're talking about this after the Elite Eight, and the Elite Eight was a complete and utter dud, you know? Like, you give, you give props to Houston for making the run they did without uh, Marcus Hasser and Tremont Mark. Uh, you give Arkansas props for the run they went on upsetting Gonzaga. St. Peter's obviously being the first 15 seed in the Elite Eight. Give them props for that. And, and same deal with Miami, right? Being at the right time, knocking off Auburn. You give all those teams credit. At the same time, I think you look at their Elite, elite Eight matchups, and all four were very clearly undermatched. And it played out that way in games. But whenever you have teams that make a long run and make that first weekend, even Sweet 16, exciting, there's eventually going to be going to be a correction. And the cream is going to rise to the top. And we saw that in the Elite Eight now with the Blue Blood Final Four, which certainly doesn't lack storylines. And some may be miffed at the fact that it is all Blue Bloods sitting, sitting there in the Final Four that's left. But at the same time, at this point in the tournament, you want your best teams playing. Like you want the best basketball games out there. And I think these these four will provide that. Yeah, I will say I, that that Houston Villanova game was definitely the best game of the Elite Eight. I thought it was actually still a fairly good game. Um, Houston seemed to run out of gas towards the end there, which didn't really help them. And and they were super cold shooting, which I was not expecting. But um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, you're right. Like you had very clear favorites going into all of those games and the games played out the way that we kind of expected that to happen. So, um, yeah, I, I do agree uh, with the exception of that Villanova-Houston game that, yeah, the, the rest of them were duds. And I think it was just the fact that you had so many, you know, that went so far. Like, typically, when we see Cinderella stories, you don't have one from each bracket, essentially. You also don't have... Um, you know, all of them flaming out in the same round. So like normally you have, you know, like a big story in the first round of a team that advances and then they don't move on. You know, you get something more normal right. going into the Sweet 16. You'll have one that typically makes a run of the Sweet 16 and they might flame out in the Sweet 16 um, or, you know, may even go to the Elite Eight. This year we legitimately had, you know, three teams that honestly probably had no business getting as far as they did. And and it's, it's kind of weird saying that about four-seed Arkansas, but, uh, you know, I think everybody would recognize that Arkansas really probably shouldn't have gotten past Gonzaga if Gonzaga had played the kind of game that they normally would be able to play. So, um, yeah, yeah. it's just one of those, it was kind of a concurrence of everything happening in the same round. Normally they're kind yeah. of spread out a little bit more. So the rounds as a whole are, are generally, uh, generally like not seen as a dud as a whole. So yeah, one, one bad round certainly does not miss a tournament, miss a tournament, doesn't make a tournament. Uh, and the fact that it's the, the most recent one, I think, has people with a bit of a, a bit of a sour taste in their mouth. Um, but uh, aside from that, like the first three rounds of the tournament were excellent. Uh, and yeah. not, I mean, that that entry, they had the Cinderella runs. You had, as I mentioned, great individual performances. You had dominant teams looking like dominant teams. Just we have a sour taste in our mouth because the Elite Eight games kind of suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so so let's go ahead and take a look. Uh, Actually, want to get your thoughts on on Kansas because I've heard a lot yes. of people talking about Kansas, you know, having the easiest bracket, and I, I can agree that if you look at like overall strength of teams, that that you could make that argument fairly easily. Like looking at things like Ken Palm, mm-hmm. I I have kind of made the point that a lot of the teams that were in Kansas bracket had fairly good matchups in terms of the things that they do well, giving them a chance for an upset. Obviously, Kansas came through all of those, um, mm-hmm. but. 
have you been impressed with the way that Kansas was able to get to the final four or was this more of a foregone conclusion? Like it would have been a disappointment if, if they weren't able to. I think it would have been a disappointment if they weren't able to. Um, I'm impressed that they got there without playing their best basketball really at any point up until the second half of that Miami game. Yeah. Right. And I, I, I do think that if some things broke the other way, like if Creighton had a healthy roster, um, if maybe Auburn gets in that Elite Eight game instead of Miami, which I, I have my own questions on Auburn, uh, but there were certainly things that broke Kansas' way that allowed them to play less than their best and still get through with relative ease, right? I think that can be true at the same time. I also think that Kansas doesn't get enough credit for potentially being the best team left in the field. Like they're the last one seed, right? And yeah. a lot of the talk is about Duke and UNC, one because they're playing each other and, and that matchup is, is its own beast. Um, the way Duke is playing is phenomenal. The way North Carolina is playing is phenomenal. So those two with the matchup, are obviously going to be talked about more, but Kansas is the only one seed that's left. You know, they're in the final four and their first team All-American has not played like a first team All-American. The preseason All-Big 12 player of the year, Remy Martin, is now healthy and and playing like the guy that we thought was going to help Kansas be, you know, preseason number two, number three team in the country, right? So as long as they keep that up and and are able to play at 95% of their potential, well, there's a very real chance that Kansas is cutting down the nets. Yeah, I mean, it's also kind of what you were talking about. It wasn't just the fact that, like, Ochai Abaji is not playing up to his potential. Like, Jalen Wilson was a beast on the boards in that game against Miami, but he only scored five points. Like, they have a lot of right. players who are doctor. who are doing one thing well, which luckily they're all doing different things well enough that they can field essentially a full roster at that point with all the yeah. different roles that you need. But none of the players, with the exception of Remy Martin, have really lived up to what you expect from them here, which which I think makes Kansas – like I think it explains why Kansas is being potentially a little bit underrated. Obviously, the, the Duke-North Carolina matchup that's actually happening has taken a lot of attention away from, from Kansas naturally. But uh, you know, it, it is one of those things. I think it's, it's a combination of them not performing the way that you would fully expect. It means that people are kind of down on them. Um, but, but it also means that they could – theoretically get everything together in this game against Villanova and go on a run and be dominant in a way that most people aren't expecting because they just haven't seen it consistently from KU this year. Absolutely. And, you know, I I think from a um, maybe national attention or a casual fan perspective, Kansas has been favored to win all their games. And that's kind of one you watch another game that's on, you see the score that's up at the, the top of your screen and Kansas is relatively in control, right? But they, they aren't blowing teams out by, you know, 25, 30 points. You know, UNC was up 25 on Baylor. Everyone goes, oh, UNC beat St. Peter's by 20. Everyone goes, oh, that's a great performance, right? Kansas, just kind of steady, taking care of business, didn't show out. So they're kind of flying under the radar a little bit in that perspective. And to your point, they have not played, have not played their best. If they do, though, I think, I, I don't think anybody can really touch them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, all right, so, so this, this matchup, Obviously, the big storyline for Kansas playing against Villanova was the fact that Justin Moore, you know, tore his Achilles. I watched that live, and I saw the pop, and I'm just like, oh, I know exactly what it that is. is. It looks bad. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a lot of people who were like, oh, well, you know, hopefully it's just a cramp. And I'm like, I have never seen a cramp do something like that to someone's leg on a, on a replay. So, they, yeah. I, I think the broadcast crew was hopeful that it was a cramp. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of those things where, uh, you know, that changes a lot of what, uh, of what Kansas, like, is looking for against Villanova. They've already kind of dealt with this once dealing, you know, playing against Creighton after Creighton lost a guy to a big injury. Um, I think the big difference here is that they have, you know, a full week to prepare for that as opposed to a 20, 20, 24 hour period. You know, I also think that that might, that might explain a little bit of what happened against Creighton because yes, they lost a really, really good player. Um, but, that completely changed the way that they do it. So you can't necessarily prepare. So, I mean, there's going to be some of that here against Villanova in that what does this Villanova team look like without Justin Moore? Um, I honestly don't know. Like they, they've played some time without him, but they have not built a game plan around not having him available. I think if you're a Kansas fan, the way this is going to play out is it's going to be annoying for Kansas fans. Villanova does not have the depth of playmaker or shot creator uh, to withstand the loss of one of their playmakers and shot creators, whether that's Colin Gillespie or Justin Moore, they don't, they don't have that in droves like past Villanova teams have had. Like one of the, one of Villanova's biggest issues this year has been depth and they've managed, they've gotten by that they'll, they'll play a game at a slow pace to help kind of pace their players out. They did that more as the year went on, but Justin Moore and Colin Gillespie are so vital to that team. Like there's a small margin for error for them being the level that they're at right now in Final Four level and being a, a mediocre state tournament team. And I, and I think without more, they are still a tough out because of the way they play. Uh, they're not going to beat themselves. They're not going to make mistakes. Their culture is tough-minded, and, and you know they're going to give it their all and um, be in every game, do what they need to do to be in every game. But they, they're not going to have the firepower to get over the top against the best teams in the country, Kansas being one of them. I, this is going to be a, a scenario just because of the way Villanova plays where Kansas is not going to blow them out. It's, but I also don't think Kansas is ever going to feel seriously threatened. Uh, I just don't think Villanova has enough offense without Justin Moore. Like it, it's going to be a game where Kansas has a battle lead between four and 10 points the entire game. And sometimes Villanova can, can spurt up and, and cut that lead and even potentially take the lead at some point, but I expect Kansas to have a, a decent lead throughout most of the game that they're just unable to extend because of the way Villanova is, is going to try and grind the game down and, and play at a slow pace. Yeah. It, it also doesn't help that Villanova is also down Jordan Logino. Um, I think that's how you say his name. Uh, but you know, so like they already were dealing with depth issues coming into the end, the NCAA tournament. And now they're dealing with even more, um, you know, the main guy that they have that comes off the bench um, is, uh, you know, really the only guy who gets significant minutes in, in Caleb Daniels. So yeah, right. it's going to be one of those things where they are essentially running five deep. They'll bring guys in, I think to spell, but foul trouble is going to be real big for them. You know, a lot was made about the fact that they are the number one free throw shooting team in the nation. Um, but looking at the numbers, like they don't get to the free throw line very often from what I can tell. So it's right. not like it's a, yes, it's a huge advantage come down to late game scenarios, um, where they have a lead, but it's not a huge advantage if you're not pushing it and getting yourself to the line very much. And I think part well, of that might just be because of the the depth that they have. They can't afford to get fouls the other way, so they have to kind of back off a little bit and not push it. Um, but it's definitely like the one thing that they are super standouts at, and and they're mm -hmm. not really able or willing to take advantage of that. Their offense is also a delicate balance because they don't have many guys who can get to the rim off the bounce, right? And that's another reason why they don't choose many free throws is they just don't have that athleticism or that many elite attackers. Justin Moore is their best one by far and the one they'd go to late in games. Without him, 
you're going to rely on Gillespie more, which is fine. And Gillespie's a really good player, two-time Big East player of the year. Like, you don't fake your way into that. At the same time, nobody's mistaking Gillespie for an Olympic athlete or you know, track sprinter who excels at getting downhill and attacking the paint, right? right. Like it, it's That's why Moore's loss is so crucial because he is the the most dynamic playmaker that they have. Uh, and without him, I, I think their offense becomes a little bit easier to guard. Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with your point that this is not going to be a game where Kansas is going to pull away unless, like, everybody on Kansas offense is clicking um, or we get to a point where Villanova is dealing with foul trouble, you know, like late in the second right. half. I, I do think that there is a, a good opportunity for Kansas to potentially win this game by 15, but it to be a lot closer throughout the entire game just because of, you know, free throw shooting at the end and guys get, you know, fouling out and finally just Villanova running out of gas. Like that's really the only way that I can realistically see Kansas getting a, a you know, double digit win here. But yeah, this is going to be a game that is going to be super annoying for Kansas fans. Kind of like you said, because of style of play, but also because of the fact that, you know, Kansas history playing against Villanova in this tournament is not a great one. <laughs> like, no. Um, you know, it, it, it is one of those things though. I, I love this stat because it gets thrown out all the time. Unfortunately, it's gone against the Jayhawks so much, but every single time Kansas and Villanova have played each other in the, in the NCAA tournament, the winner of that game has gone on to win the national championship. So you have to feel really good about that if you're a Kansas fan being favored in this game, uh, knowing that history. And knowing where this team is at this point and the way that they've been improving over the course of the year. And, of course, guys like Remy Martin. So, all right, I do want to go ahead and talk about the other matchup of the Final Four. And I want you to try to convince me how or why Kansas fans should actually want to watch that game. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk Podcast. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt, joined by my brother... Jeremy J and Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, any place. Get at your boys. And we're back. I'm here with Brian Ralph of uh, Heat Heat Check. Um, Brian. Obviously, Kansas Villanova is the first one because the big headline of the event, depending on who, well, depending on who you, who you talk to, whether it should be or not, but the big headline of the event is Duke and North Carolina facing each other for the very first time ever in the NCAA tournament here in the Final Four in Coach K's last season. It's like all of these things coming together to make this, you know, potentially a storybook ending for Coach K. Um, I can tell you right now, most Kansas fans, or I, actually I should say every Kansas fan that I know of is completely fed up with the, the Coach K love that we've had all year long. Um, and we're really, really pulling against Duke. I've heard from many of them that they don't plan on watching this game no matter what happens, just because they don't really want to deal with, you know, the way that this is going to be announced. But, uh, convince me, like, what, what would the argument be that yep. you would give as to why someone should want to watch this game, regardless of the fact that the announcers are going to be insufferable? Yeah, so I, I live in North Carolina. I live in Raleigh, right in between UNC and Duke. So, like, th this state is on fire right now, just from the panic of knowing everyone's going to panic over the weekend. Like, it, it's, a, it's an insane thing. But for Kansas fans, I think you look at this game from a couple of perspectives. First perspective mentioned how much everyone hates coach K you want coach K to lose again yes like for that, sure. <laughs> you, you you tune in and watch that you automatically have a rooting interest in North Carolina I also think North Carolina probably matches up better uh, for Kansas because you know you, you can put Baycott and David McCormack like that allows McCormack to be a factor UNC is not going to run an offense that has to 
limit his defensive um, capabilities, right? He'll, he'll be able to stay out on the court with, with Baycott on, on the court. Duke's a little bit different. He can kind of do the same with Mark Williams, but Mark Williams has a little bit more size. McCormack and Baycott are, are similar physically and have similar, similar physical attributes, right? So I look at it from that perspective and think, if I'm a Kansas fan, I'd rather have UNC win because I think we match up better with them than we do Duke. And that's one of Duke's advantages that they're just, they're just absurd from a, from an athleticism and individual player standpoint, they don't always play together as a team or, or shoot the ball well from three. If you're a Kansas fan, I'd, I'd want to look at it from that perspective, root for Carolina for that root for coach K losing. Uh, and also I'd root for the game to go in a three over. Oh, for sure. <laughs> because I, I, I don't think, that there's much of a difference right now between Duke and North Carolina. Like I'm fully expecting this to come down to the last couple of possessions, potentially going in overtime, which I don't think this state could take if, if that happened. But I, I do think that no matter who wins that game, whether it's Duke or North Carolina, they're going to downplay this, but there will be an inevitable emotional letdown after the game. And I know it's, it's tough to say, oh, how can you be let down going in the national championship game? But that's how much this game means to both programs and, and both fan bases, how much that Duke-UNC game means. It's also going to be, like you mentioned, the Final Four game that's propped up. It's almost propped up as the championship game, right? Right for, for, for better or for worse. The last time we saw this was in 2015, when you had the Frank Kaminsky, Sam Decker, Wisconsin team, Frank Kaminsky won National Player of the Year, against the Kentucky team that had Carl Anthony Towns and was 38-0. and Right, they were, they were going for the undefeated t- season. The other Final Four matchup was Duke, and I, I forget who I even forget who the fourth team was. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> yeah, but that was that was the the matchup. And so everyone was focused on that on that Wisconsin Kentucky game. Wisconsin won, ended Kentucky's perfect season and got lauded for that. They were talked about as potentially being like the, one of the greater teams ever. That Wisconsin team for two days, and then Duke won the championship because Wisconsin like kind of fell apart down the stretch and couldn't match Duke's energy. If you're a Kansas fan, I think you're hoping this follows that same script where you're going to root for Duke North Carolina to be as close and as intense as possible because there will inevitably be a letdown and in turn give a slight advantage to Kansas. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those things where I, I agree this has been propped up so much that there's naturally just going to be a letdown. Like it's it's going to be pretty much impossible Um you know, to keep that same level. I've also heard from a lot of Duke and North Carolina fans, um, you know, that, that, that I happen to know that kind of live in the area that I don't think oh, and many of them actually wanted this game. Like they were all like, no, please not in the final four. Like, I don't want this. Like yeah. now that it's here, obviously you want to win it, not just because it's, you know, the final four for a chance to go to the championship, but also you don't want to give your rival that those bragging rights. But yeah. I know plenty of North Carolina and Duke fans that were actively rooting against the other team, not necessarily because they didn't want to play them, um, like in terms of like matching up on the court, but because they didn't want to deal with all of the shenanigans around the game. Uh, well, there's there's that aspect of it because the shenanigans around the game, the build up is going to be even more nauseating than ESPN's build up to Coach K's last game in Cameron. Like I I joked on Twitter that I think ESPN executives have to be insanely jealous of, of CBS and Turner executives for what they're going to get to produce that ESPN tried to produce in in coach K's last game. Um, uh, But Duke UNC fans are terrified of this game. Like absolutely terrified. It's one of those instances where they're, you're more scared of losing than you are more excited of potential of winning. Yeah. The standpoint of like, like Duke, North Carolina, 
is a rivalry that's based on many things. One of the things that makes it special is the evenness of it, right? They, they trot those stats out on ESPN every time they play during the regular season where, you know, they've split the last 100 matchups and they've scored the same number of points in those matchups. Right? The evenness of that is one of the things that makes the rivalry so special. Well, now you add the one time they've played the NCAA tournament. The one time. Like, this is the right. ultimate <laughs> Trump. This is the ultimate Trump card. In that rivalry, you know, you can throw out national champions, but the other side can say, we, you know, we have ours here. You can throw out these, this NBA player, these NBA products. The other side can throw out theirs there. You know, UNC has one of the most ACC regular season titles. Duke's one of the most ACC tournament tournament titles. Like there's always a tit for tat and a, and a give and go in this rivalry. There's not going to be after this. Like there's going to be that ultimate trump card with, with who wins this game. It took what they've been playing NCAA tournament since 1939 and they expanded 84 teams in 1985. This is, this is the first time this has happened. So who knows how long this is, this, it could be before they, they play in the NCAA tournament again, assuming they do play in the NCAA tournament again. Right. Yeah. Right. There's a lot that like, has to happen for this to happen. Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There, there is a lot riding on this game. And this is like a, a trump card in this rivalry that cannot just automatically be made up for somewhere else. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I just, it's one of those things I am half tempted and I'm sure that I will talk myself out of it by the time the Kansas, you know, gets done with their game. Well, no, I, I take that back. If Kansas loses, I may not watch this game just because I wouldn't want to watch the game anyway after Kansas is done. But, uh, you know, assuming Kansas wins, yeah. I could probably talk myself into watching this game just because, um, but I, I also would not blame people that are tempted to just kind of follow along on ESPN, keep track of the game, look at stats afterwards, maybe watch some highlights or something like that, but can't stand to, to go through it because I, I you know, we still ha- are holding a grudge against ESPN for, you know, the split screen that we had to play against, <laughs> against Texas because they wanted to show Coach K walk onto the court in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Yep. And I'm just like, you've got to be yeah, kidding you, me. <laughs> you all, you all spoiled ESPN's party. You well, you know what? They, I think they got their revenge. <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, no. Oh, by the way, I actually did look it up. Uh, Michigan State was the opponent for Duke in that Final Four that we were talking about, which is kind of funny that that, yeah. that, that they're the ones that you not forget, a, right? Not a, yeah, not a slack program. Like a Duke-Michigan right, State exactly. matchup most years is notable. Yeah, it wasn't like a you know one of Butler's runs to the Final Four or something like that. So. Uh, that that right. you would have like really known about, but it's also a team that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be there. But all right, so so obviously, I, like I think that game is too close to call. I, I will say, just kind of looking at the two different teams, Duke having the best offense in the nation, um, at least according to Ken Palm, does kind of scare me as a Kansas fan. But Kansas defense has gotten surprisingly good over the course of the the, the end of the season. They are up to seventeenth in Ken Palm. They actually have the best defense remaining in in the tournament if if you look at those rankings. Um, so like this is this is one of those things where this is a sneaky good defensive team for Kansas, um, but North Carolina obviously is is a not quite as good team overall if you look at the rankings. Um, and so depending on what it is you're looking for, will definitely uh, kind of be who you're rooting for in that particular game. But assuming that Kansas is able to kind of get through and get to that championship game, um, like I, I think if we were making a pick. I probably would just kind of assume that they are playing Duke in that game just because Duke is theoretically the better team. But, uh, you know, if you're looking at that game, we, we've kind of already answered as like, which one do you think Kansas should want to play? But um, which one do you think Kansas is going to play? And what should we be looking out for in that matchup? I think they're going to play North Carolina. Um, I might be in the minority in that opinion. 
I, the way UNC has been playing since they beat Duke and Cameron has been on a completely different level than, than the way they played played before that. If you look at this tournament run, they blew out Marquette. They were 10 minutes away from beating Baylor by 20. They had that collapse. They were up 25 on a one seed. And then obviously handled um, St. Peter's in the Elite Eight, beat them by 20, came back, handled UCLA in that really good Sweet 16 matchup too. The way their guards are playing right now um, is, is a big difference for me. And this may be a little counterintuitive, but I also am a little concerned that Duke has been playing too well late in games, right? Like they haven't missed <laughs> in the last like five minutes of games. That can't continue. Like you look at the, the overall picture, this is still a Duke team that was down five to a mediocre Michigan State team in the closing minutes, right? They were losing most of the game against a, a good Texas Tech team. You know, they're losing most of that game and then handled Arkansas after Arkansas had kind of put everything into that Gonzaga game, they, I just don't think they really had anything left. For, for 40 minutes, Duke has not been this juggernaut, right? But they have been elite the last five to eight minutes in those games, right? They, they closed the Michigan State game incredibly well. They didn't miss a shot in the last 8-20 against Texas Tech. That's not repeatable. I don't think, at least. And, and because this game is going to be so close, I think there's going to be some regression to the mean, in that aspect. And from UNC, we've also seen Caleb Love, RJ Davis, Brady Manick really step up and want to make big shots, want to take big shots. They have that, that mentality. Um, we're at a point now where I think I trust that backcourt more than I trust Dukes. And in a, in a game where I think there's going to be one or two possessions that decide it, I'll go there. I obviously would not be surprised if Duke won, um, but that's why I'm, I'm giving the edge to North Carolina. I don't think they're getting enough credit for the way they've been playing over the last month because of how bad they were <laughs> the first four months of the season. Well, hey, I will take it because while I, um, you know, I would not mind Kansas being the ones to end Coach K's career and having, you know, kind of being able to hold that chip above a bunch of people's heads for a long time. Um, as long as we don't, like, it, it removes all possibility of Coach K winning a national yeah. title over the Jayhawks, you know, well, and then that being a the chip. Other thing, so. That's the other thing, too, that Duke, has hanging over them if you get late into a game right it's there's pressure on them because you don't want coach kate like they don't want coach kate's season to end and they lost they they already had his last game in cameron spoiled by unc it can't happen this time right uh, unc is playing with a little bit more house money and i think can play a little bit freer than duke can if it gets if it gets tight late yeah all right well let's let's go ahead and finish up with this then who do you who do you actually see looking at this final four? Who do you see being the team that's going to go ahead and cut the nets down? I'm not just saying this because you were so kind to have me on this podcast, but I, I'm picking Kansas. Um, before the tournament started, I wrote a list of there are only five programs or five teams that I thought had the potential to win the national championship. You can look at it one way. There's only one of them left in the field right now with Kansas, but at the same time, that makes it kind of easy. There's only one left in the field. There's Kansas. Right. Um, what we saw from them all season long was a really steady team, played good defense, had good offense, especially when they were able to get out in transition. Ochai Baji's excellent. You, you got Christian Brown and Jalen Wilson being good uh, secondary options offensively. McCormack can give them something down low that obviously elevates their play. But what I think took them from being a good team to a national championship caliber team, and I, I've been harping on this all year long, is Remy Martin's health. 
and his ability to play a lot of minutes. Because as good as Ochai Baji is, as good as the rest of Kansas guys are, Remy Martin is the only one who can consistently make a play for himself or others when the offense breaks down or when it gets late in clock and you just need somebody to go make a play. Like that's what Remy Martin excels at. And Kansas needs that, right? Ochai Baji is an excellent player, but he's somebody you drop a play for. Right. Right. I, I don't. Christian Brown and Jalen Wilson are, are very good players, but aren't someone you're drawing up place for, right? David McCormack, as we've seen, I don't know if you want to be drawing up, drawing up <laughs> place for him, right? Remy Martin is that guy you can turn to and say, okay, go, go make this happen with 10 seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah. The big, he, the big difference, right. The big difference has been Kansas has not had a guy that can call their own number consistently and be effective doing it. Correct. Abaji has been prone to pressing too much at times when he tries to do it because nobody else will on this team. And so having a guy like Remy Martin who has the confidence and the ability to go ahead and do that completely changes the dynamic. It, it adds an additional tool to that tool belt that they have, which allows them to get out of a lot more situations. And that was really the main things that, that tripped them up during the year was that they would get into late game situations. You saw it in, you know, at the game against Iowa State in, in Lawrence. Um, they would get into situations where they needed somebody to just go make a play that didn't rely on, you know, mm-hmm. passing around the perimeter and getting four or five guys involved or things like that. And they didn't have anybody that was able to do it. So now they do have someone. Um, it, 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 it's actually kind of funny because Martin's worst game in the tournament is the game against Miami. And it was a game where everybody else went off in the second half. So they didn't need him to create his own shot. So that's been super helpful for them. And, and you're right. I do think, um, you know, I know lots of people that were picking Kansas anyway. And, and of course, you know, I, I fully, expected Kansas to be in this position in the final four. I expected a little bit more um, like I, I thought Gonzaga was going to be here or, or even Texas tech. I thought like some of the other teams, I was afraid of a Kansas Kentucky yeah. matchup in the, in the championship game. And obviously that didn't even come close to happening. So, um, but yeah, so this is a great way I think to end the tournament with a bunch of teams that people are invested in that people want to, you know, that are, that are used to seeing here, but it's, Gonna give us some, some pretty good games. So, all right, Brian, thank you so much for joining me. Where, where can everybody find your work online? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, you can check me out at heatcheckcbb.com. Uh, again, that's heatcheckcbb.com. We have everything, uh, where you could possibly want from Final Four coverage to projections for next season. Uh, we just released our way too early top 25 for next season. So Arkansas fans, I'm sorry that we kind of trashed your lead eight appearance as Cinderella, but you're number one in our preseason poll for next year. <laughs> really cool. So you can check that out and check out the rest of the top 25 up on heatcheckcv.com. Uh, I'm going to be in New Orleans this weekend. We're going to have uh, a couple people in New Orleans covering this again from every angle. The way we look at it is all of us are diehard college basketball fans. And so we write about things that we think diehard college basketball fans want to read about because it's what we're, we want to read about and are interested in. So if you are a diehard college basketball fan, I would definitely check out heatcheckcv.com. Yeah, I know that it's one of my go-to places during the season to get the more national perspective because I'm laser focused in on KU and then, and then, uh, the, the Big 12 as well. But, uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, and, and I appreciate you guys so much for listening here to, to this podcast. Thank you so much. If you can go out wherever you get your podcast, where's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere else that you can find podcasts, subscribe so you can get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. Um, if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me at e- by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. You can 
you, you can also leave, leave us a voicemail. Go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message. And I promise we'll get your question or whatever else you have on the show. Really looking for reactions this week with the Final Four. So please go on over and do that. Really enjoy being part of the 1012 network as well, covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference. We have a great group of podcasters over there. Really enjoying what we're doing over there. Over on Twitter at TEN12Network, and you can get links to all the great shows we have. Big thanks to our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Promo code CHOCK12 gets you 15% off your entire first order. They have a bunch of great stuff. But uh, that's going to do it for us today. Brian, once again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Hey there, 1012 Network listeners. This is Dustin from the Scott Nolan Podcast, the original Houston Cougar athletics podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network. Uh, my co-host, Sam, do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott Nolan Podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston and their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that.